Welcome to the Heart of Innovation, 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. You know, John and I are both out somewhere in the U.S., not in our normal spots today. We do have a great guest coming up. It's going to be Mark Easter. He's a marathon runner. He is running in the next year to raise awareness for peripheral artery disease. It's what we always talk about, that circulation issue that affects mainly the leg arteries that, if left untreated, could lead to heart attack, stroke, and amputation. So it's all about that early diagnosis, that early treatment. It impacts one in five over the age of 60, one in three over the age of 50 who have diabetes. So it's a very prevalent circulation issue. And yet I feel as though, John, we're just starting to raise awareness for this, not only in the patient community, but also in the physician community. Well, first of all, Kim, good morning. Um, <laughs> I we love, are... I'm like, you know, bam, right into it. And you're like, okay, good morning. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I would say that based on my experience, and in fact, to, today I'm at a advisory board for a, a major medical uh, device manufacturer and we have the same conversations. How do we affect these people sooner before they develop the issues, blockages and the ulcers and the amputations? How do we become more preventative as opposed to, um, you know, kind of reactive? So, yeah, it's a good conversation. I'm out here in Minneapolis uh, and then I fly to Vegas, actually, this afternoon for a, another course teaching physicians how to get access in the foot for these, some of the procedures that we do. So putting little tubes in the foot arteries. So it should be fun, but it's going to be a bit of a long weekend for me, but no rest for the weary, as they say. No, not at all. And you and I are getting together this weekend because then you're coming back. And the moment you land, we're going to be reporting (laughs) another radio show because just because we're in person, we're together and that makes it more fun. Hardly ever. I mean, with being California, you and Ohio, we just rely upon Zoom. It is amazing. And I and our our guest, uh, who is a marathon runner, and I think you said a professional marathon runner as well. Right. You know, I've have you ever run a marathon? I ran a half marathon a few years ago, and um I thought that was a bit of a challenge. And a lot of people say they, they only run when chased, but um <laughs> I don't mind running, but I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Should we do it? Should we do a 20? Should we do a marathon for PAD awareness? That would be that'd be kind of interesting, huh? Uh, I think it'd be fun. I think the walking, though, I, I'm all about walking. Walking is the best medicine, of course, right? That's when you end up growing those collateral vessels that can reroute blood flow around blockages, right? Yeah, and I, I saw just kind of, I think you know. Walking's Walking is usually good enough for most most folks. I saw a patient this week who we fixed some of the blockages and 
and we improved the blood flow, but, but she had a lot of blockages still on the thigh and, and below the knee. Um, and, and it was, you know, we've had shows about how to get people to walk and, and what are some of the metrics and what to do. And she wasn't, she, she was confused as to like, well, how far do I walk? And like, is it going to hurt me? Do I walk till it hurts? Do I stop before it hurts? You know, things of that nature. So that's, yeah, you spent about 15 minutes just kind of talking to the patient about walking, which, you know, you and I just kind of get up, we walk. Right. But um, it's different for folks that have claudication and, and PAD. And yeah, you always have to keep reassuring them. It's okay. Walk and walk and walk. Now, I don't know that any of them are going to be running, let alone 26.2 miles, but nonetheless, uh, the more they walk, the better. It's interesting that when you actually do as a physician, take the time to talk to the patient about walking, it can have an impact on many people. Dr. Anahita Dua from Mass General, she's a vascular surgeon there. She put together a video for us talking about the effectiveness of walking and how to walk effectively to grow that collateral network. And we just ended up with the most amazing comment from a patient that said, amazing video, so glad my search led me to you. You have allowed me to avoid another stent procedure. I will walk now because it's clear what I need to do. Thank you with all of my heart. Hmm. So that extra moment that you can take as a physician to explain what that patient needs to do and why, I think can go a long way. I agree 100%. The we were talking amongst the physicians at this conference how little time we often have to interact with the patient, and and uh, there was another another subspecialty that was referenced that they book an hour per visit for for the patient. That just it's not possible for for what we do to get get through and see the people that we need need to see. So sometimes I I'll actually have them come back or maybe do a, a telehealth visit just to talk about the kind of the conservative yet aggressive, I call it, treatment options that we have, which are medications and then and then walking. But the other thing too is a lot of these folks smoke and that that damages the lining of the, the blood vessels and it can lead to uh, pain uh, in the tips of the fingers and the toes because the vessels just get obliterated literally. But I always tell them, because our our show last week right was a religious show, and I say, you know, if you keep if you keep smoking, you're going to be talking to St. Peter sooner than you want to, and so <laughs> that usually scares them a little bit. But nonetheless, the the risk factor reduction plays a big role too in what we do. Yeah. So the big thing is getting them early, getting them treated, getting them that frontline treatment. That's what's really key. And so it's all about raising awareness, and that's what the marathon runner we're going to be meeting in the next segment is going to to be doing. So before we get to him, how about a moment of inspiration, some words of wisdom? Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I was looking for some kind of interesting quotes about running marathons, and um, I found a couple uh, and this is from a, a, a U.S. Olympic marathoner, and uh, Meb is the is her first name, I believe. Uh, but she's quoted saying, "Like the marathon, life can sometimes be difficult, challenging, and present obstacles. However, if you believe in your dreams and never give up, things will turn out for the best." We always have such positive 
we, we always have a positive vibe on this show, whether it's, uh, you know, talking to someone who's had an amputation or trying to get somebody through a, a difficult um, hurdle medically or, you know, maybe psychologically. But so it's always important to be positive. But then this is a quote that I saw a, a bunch of times and I, I just thought it was kind of funny. So it's like they someone said at mile 20, I thought I was dead. At mile 22, I wished I was dead. At mile 24, I knew I was dead. At mile 26.2, I realized I had become too tough to kill. <laughs> so I thought, I thought that was funny. Um, Actually, even- that's really um, relevant when it comes to peripheral artery disease. When you, when you talk to a patient, they get diagnosed, they go on Dr. Google, they actually think, that they're going to be dead in five years because that's what it says the mortality rate is. But then they start to talk to people. They start, they keep going. They, they push through it. They talk to us. They talk to you. They talk to another clinician. They talk to their friends and they start to get out and walk. They start to see their symptoms improving and they're pushing through that pain. And finally they get to the point where they're like, well, wow, now wait a minute. I was in a lot of pain and now I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm pushing through, I'm pushing through, I'm pushing through. And they have hope and all is much better than it was, let's say, three months prior. Exactly. And I I think there's PAD. We've talked about this so much, but it's kind of like the orphaned um, atherosclerotic disease. Everybody knows what to do when they have signs or symptoms of a stroke and clearly a heart attack. And, and then when you, when you tell somebody you have a blocked artery in your legs right away, am I going to lose my leg? Am I going to die? Cause I think they're thinking, all right, well, if I have a blocked artery in my heart, I can die from that. If I have a blocked artery in my neck, I can have a stroke debilitating, but it's not, that doesn't kill the patient. I mean, it, it can be debilitating and, Again, and I hate to harp on it, but it's all about raising awareness and, and, and bringing this disease to the forefront uh, because so many people are affected by it. Up, upwards of 230 million people worldwide have PAD. That's huge, right? And then the diabetic population, even even larger you know, percentages. So I love what you're doing. The fact that that video came out, a patient saw it. And they were like, yeah, I, I got this is, is fantastic. So the more education we do, the better. Yep. And that's what Mark Easter is going to do. So coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we're going to meet this marathon runner who is devoting his next few races to raising awareness for PAD. So stay with us. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. 
That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. As John and I were talking before the break, we have a great guest on that is helping to raise awareness for one of the most debilitating diseases most have never heard of yet impacts so many people around the world. And it's becoming more and more prevalent as the population ages and as diabetes has become more and more of an epidemic, not just We're not talking diabetes one. We're talking about type two diabetes and even Mm pre-diabetes. Even one sugar molecule can scratch those arteries leading to that healing response, plaque buildup in your body to kind of patch things up. Um, And that's what restricts the blood flow in mainly the leg arteries. But raising awareness for this really tough disease is Mark Easter, marathon runner out of South Africa, who decided to raise awareness for PAD through a personal experience. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Good to be here. You and I met through a mutual friend, um, someone you knew came to us out of South Africa and was running out of options there. Um, Doctors were saying there was no hope. They were going to do this crazy axillobifemoral bypass procedure without ever having tried to even put a a balloon in to push the plaque aside or a stent Mm. in to see if they can keep the artery open. Nothing. Going straight to this big tube that extends from the shoulder, clear to um, the groin, and then rerouting blood flow into the legs. And I said, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to we need to inspire this doctor to do something a little bit more minimally invasive. Mm-hmm. And we were for a while, but as you know, this is a progressive disease. It's tough to watch. Mm-hmm. Once you do have a procedure, you have to keep coming back. So, you know, this is really what inspired you to get involved and do something about it, thinking mm-hmm. that, hey, we need to raise awareness sooner rather than later. Yes, absolutely, 100%. I knew nothing about this until it was landed on the plate, like you say. And what we realized, unless you have top-end private medical aid or medical cover or insurance, um, there's just many people falling through who are having procedures done that they don't require. And still, I don't understand it in full. And I'm learning from you guys as we go and to hear and yeah, bringing awareness to the world that you know what you don't have to accept that. If I mean the doctors we had here, it was it came across as we we haven't got time for you. We don't know how to do it. We're just going to do it this way, um, it, and basically butchered butchered the person, which was horrible to watch. It made it worse. So finding other ways, raising the awareness and really getting to all these places that it, it's, it needs to be heard. I didn't realize how big a problem it was in the world. Mark, you bring up an interest and Kim as well, that the story is one that resonates, I think with a lot of physicians who tend to specialize in, in some of these more uh, complex procedures using minimally invasive techniques However, I mean, sometimes surgery is needed and some of these more um, extra anatomical surgeries are needed based on the anatomy. And and so I guess my 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 question is, when you, Kim and and Mark, when you saw or interacted with this person, uh, did they feel like they 
were kind of pushed into a corner and didn't have any other options or, or didn't have any other resources? Or was it their understanding that, hey, this is probably the best thing for you to have this this major op- operation to potentially preserve your legs? Well, you see, that this, this is why I was I was so confused that it's and that there was no answers. There was no sort of urgency. There was nothing about it because it's it's the top hospital in South Africa where the first house transplants were done and everything. It is a government hospital. So it's, you know, Dr. Christian Barna did that first heart transplant yeah. there all those many years ago. Um, so, yeah, and for someone like me who doesn't understand it, we, we felt that we weren't getting the information that we needed. We, we didn't know what was wrong, what it was about, or or how to go forward. So, yeah, it comes down to physicians and doctors and surgeons, like you say, some are specialized in it. Uh, our feeling was that we were just brushed aside because they didn't want to do anything anymore, that, mm. you know, because it had been so many you, times. Honestly, John, I was on the phone with this person in this large hospital, and it is a teaching hospital, yeah. and – I truly got the feeling that the fellows that I was speaking with alongside her were really excited to do this grand procedure because they had just learned it. And that was ultimately confirmed once I did a little role play with this patient to you know, get the conversation going where it's, hey, doc, are you sure I need this procedure? Can you try a balloon? Can you try a stent? Have you done this before? I've been reading up on this and this might be possible. And hey, if that doesn't work, we can always do the other procedure, but can't we at least try? And that was the role play we were doing and getting her ready to talk to the doctor. The doctor's response to it was, wow, okay, I guess you're right. Yes, there are other options. I guess the fellows got a little excited because they had just learned this. So the interesting part of it is Mm -hmm. he comes back in recovery and she seems to be doing great. The person next to her ended up with the axillobifemoral bypass. So obviously, you know how rare they are. The fact there are two people being offered the same procedure at the same time in the same room seems a Mm -hmm. little odd. Yeah, it sounds a little curious. Uh, obviously, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you, you know we don't yeah. pass judgment. Uh, you know, for example, last week I saw a patient for a, as a third opinion uh, for some blockages in in her leg, and it's interesting. Mean, as I always say, the 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 you know the eye sees what the mind knows, and if you don't know that there are other options out there, then you, you kind of just gravitate towards the lenses that you look through. And uh, Mm. again, the the, the beauty of this, what we do here is I think sometimes we, we, as, as patients say, whatever the doctor says goes, and and that's okay. But as now people are a little bit more savvy, they're kind of in in Mark in the U S we love, we love American football. So I always tell the patient, Mm. I I want you to be the quarterback of your care. You're running the team. You, you execute the plays. I can be your coach and give you a playbook and offer you options, but I want to have an interaction with you. And the beauty of what Kim does and and what you're doing to raise awareness, I think just keeps elevating it and, and allowing patients to, to be their care quarterbacks. Absolutely. hundred percent. And so can you give us a little bit of an idea of what we can expect over the next year? Um, 
as you raise awareness for PAD, you have a race that's coming up. The first one is right around the corner. Yeah, we do. We're racing on the international stage on here in South Africa for the first time. Um, yeah, uh, as for being a marathon runner, uh, no, that's a training run for me. Um, that, that's not far. My distance is all 100 Ks, 100 miles and plus 200 Ks. So we will be really pushing the envelope for you guys this year with starting at the UTMB. So it's Ultra Trail Mont Blanc presents the George Mountain Ultra, which is 100 kilometers of mount, big mountain running and racing. We will be there in three weeks time. Uh, after that, there's another big ultra where we'll, we'll be doing along the beautiful coastline here, up and down the mountains and the beaches and the rocks. A uh, hundred miler later in the year, uh, September, I believe it is. And then finishing on the iconic Table Mountain at the end of the year with a big ultra trail Cape Town right around the Cape Town Table Mountain. So you'll be and seeing a lot from me on the, on the social medias and everything, blasting it all for each one. So you were saying, I mean, this is an international, you have people from all over the world that come there for these races. Yes, and yes, these are all yes. taking place in South Africa. No, no, yeah, all my races are only the first ones on the international stage. But yes, we had lovely Courtney De Walter was here a couple, two years ago to run in Cape Town at the Ultra Trail Cape Town. Um, we had, uh, what's the other Hoka run? I always forget his name now. The youngster who's so good, also the American one. Oh, I can't remember his name now. Whoops. Um, <laughs> anyway, but I've, I've said Courtney to water, so now I'm all starstruck again. <laughs> um, so yeah, the international guys do come out. All the ones from um, uh, Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, it's because we're now part of the World Series. They'll be competing as well. So yeah, no pressure, huh? <laughs> no, not at all. Oh my gosh. Coming up right here not, on the Heart not of Not that I'll be going at their pace. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to find out. How Mark got into running these types of events and how you can support him. So stay with us. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg, but that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not, because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD, peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our Legsaver hotline, 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. We are continuing our conversation with Mark Easter, marathon runner 
and um, in my mind, crazy uh, for <laughs> running multiple hundred mile races, what it seems like in several months. Um, so, Mark, I, I have so many questions for you, but why running now? So a marathon is 26.2 miles, but you do ultra yes. marathons. I mean, is 26.2 not long enough for you? Uh, no, you see, um comes down to an, an addictive personality I had for many years. So I wasted many years of my life uh, doing silly things and, you know, almost ending up, also like you said, meeting St. Peter a little bit too early. So my turnaround for my life was I want to run. So I started with a half marathon. Then I thought that's not far enough. I try a marathon. That's not far enough. Then a 50, then a 90, then a 100. Eventually, I was running 100 miles and, and beyond. It's just, I don't know. I just love to keep moving. It's so, so interesting because so many of our, our you know, patients that we work with, we can barely even get to walk. Um, a lot of what leads to pad is that sedentary lifestyle. Not for all, mm. I wouldn't even say for most, but there is a good portion that a sedentary lifestyle can lead to PAD. And so it's yeah. the antithesis of, of you. <laughs> and so yeah. what is going through your mind that motivates you while you're out there and you're just running, I feel like I want to call you Forrest Gump. You just keep going and going and going and going. <laughs> I've been called it often. Run, run Forrest, run. run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, what's going through my mind? Quite a lot, depending on the day as well. Um, ultras can go either way when you're running them. Things can go wrong that you can't control. So, you know what, the first 20 odd miles, it's in your legs. But once you start getting past 26, 27, 28, 30 miles plus, you've got to start running with this and with this. And um, it takes a lot of training and effort and moving all the time um, to get your body used to that and doing that. So the sedentary laughter, like you say, actually just getting up and getting off your bum and going and do that, even if it's at that first 500 meters or whatever, or a couple of hundred yards, whatever it is that we that you want to. And then the next day we try a little bit more and try a little bit more. And, and that's the way to do it. Yeah. It's uh, a perfect, scared of it. it's a perfect parallel for our patients because a lot of times there's just that inertia. Like I, I can't do this. I can't do this, but just mm. try a little bit, take a couple of steps. I mean, obviously you take it to the ultra level, um, but at some point your mind has to overcome your body potentially saying Absolutely. hey this maybe i shouldn't be doing this but the mind is stronger than than the body take us through like i'm just curious a hundred mile race you start at whatever time in the morning are you running continuously or do you take some breaks or how does that work <laughs> uh 100 miler even on the 200 k's and the, the bigger ones you've done no we we keep moving a lot of the mountain ultras it's not going to be um, like you watch these marathon runners. There, there's, it's never at that pace. You ultra distances, you get to do a lot more walking because you're doing big climbs. So yeah. it is continuous. I mean, you got the likes of our hometown boy, Ryan Sands. I don't know if you know him. He won. He's won quite a lot out there in America. He holds quite a few of the records. Um, he's won the Western States a few times, which is my dream to eventually come and do. Um, uh, he was also going to be there in July as well. And yeah, their, sure, their pace is, is totally different to, to ours. They, they they cruise through it and they're also a lot younger. I'm, near, I'm, I'm approaching 50, so 
I'm sort of middle of the field and getting it done. So you're quite right there. It's, 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 it's getting over that fear of getting started. And once you get past that, what's going through your mind? Depends on the day. Most of the time I'm saying, look how beautiful these mountains are, man. Or it could be, oh, flip, please don't rain so hard, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> or don't snow. That's the worst one. Jeez. <laughs> I hope that answers it. I wasn't sure how to answer that one in total. It, There's so many answers. <laughs> it, it does, but just a follow-up question, and then I know Kim wanted to add something, but how do you make sure you stay hydrated so you don't go into – uh, you know, a, a, a state of dehydration and cause you can lose your electrolytes and then folks can get yep. really, really sick from that. So do you have somebody, are there people that kind of travel with you or you're just by yourself? And uh, right. So, so they have aid stations along the way. You are supposed to carry your own hydration. So there are race minimums and kit checks that they all do for us. So if you don't have the right requirements, you don't run. Um, because obviously it's big mountains. They can't have like a water table lying everywhere for you. So you're expected to carry a minimum of, of, of 1.5 liters of liquid. There are also products that we use to put into our waters that boost those electrolytes and the BCCAs and all of those things that we need. Um, I normally tend to run with one product I can put in my back, my camel pouch. So it's constantly feeding me those electrolytes, but I can't taste it. It's got no sugars, it's got no clear, you know, it's all totally natural. So there's lots of ways to keep doing it. And it's something you have to focus on. And you're quite right, because depending on the weather conditions, you can either dehydrate or even worse, overhydrate, which is a problem I've had to work with with my coaches often, because I often feel like I'm thirsty and I drink myself into a state where I've overhydrated now. And it's yeah, not comfortable when that happens. I imagine. And so you, you, do you have, and, and John was saying, do you actually have a team that's out there? You mentioned your coaches. Are there people that are along the way cheering you on personally? There are places that can see you, yes. And it's all, there's going to be live tracking, which I'll share with you guys, that everyone from around the world can follow where I am in the mountains at the, at the time as well. I know that this year, if UTMB are doing it, there will probably be live feeds as well with video on the YouTube channels. So all of those kind of things we will release um, through your platforms and things of, of where people can follow and see me. But for myself, I have a coach. He's probably, he's racing as well though, cause he's a pro athlete as well. I have a support team who will be at certain spaces where they're allowed to give me a fresh pair of socks or, you know, some nutrition changeover and all of that. Uh, that only happens at three spots along the race, but yeah, the rest of the time it's, me and myself and my shadow and off we go with everything on my back well but do you have any sponsorships i mean are we kim are we we've, gonna are we sponsoring mark we've got we some are. lovely kits oh okay and it's on its way <laughs> yeah um, i think he actually put out the save my piggies um logo out there on his social media just the other day i gotta figure so yeah. how do we how do we follow you mark um because i'm definitely going to jump on once we're done here are you on twitter you instagram i'm um, not a big fan of twitter but i'm on instagram and facebook okay. um i i'm as the hemp runner because i'm sponsored by a hemp and natural cbd company so you're not you're so not like token one. you're not token no I, I, no that that's illegal unfortunately I'm just kidding. <laughs> Are you a nah, TikToker nah. as well? Oh, no. No, no, no. Everyone, my sponsors, they want to ask me to. I can't. I can't. 
<laughs> I actually think you would do a really good job doing it. You have quite the personality. I think that you'd be a lot of fun out there, motivating really? people to run. Well, I, I, and I also think we need to get you back on the show after you've completed one of these. And I just, I want to hear more about the, the process. I think it's, it's fantastic what certain individuals are able to do, overcome whatever challenge, complete a task, how, uh, however, how difficult and insurmountable it, it may, it may be to just inspire other people, whether they have PAD or, or not. That is, that is on the top of my list. And that's why I've, I've, you know, my running is, yeah, it's for me to, how far can I go? But the top of my list, if I can inspire just one person, just one, I've done my job. If I can do more, then I'm ahead of target and I'm really happy. And there's a few people I have inspired. And a lot of people say to me, you know, you really inspire us to get moving and push further and go further. And I've gone, that's all I want. You know, it's so interesting because, I mean, you're not going in there. Would it be nice to win? You were saying that, hey, you know what? I can't really compete with these other guys, but I'm not, so I'm not <laughs> You're not in it to win it in a sense. You're truly in it, not only for, you know, your own feel good, but also to truly inspire other people. PAD awareness is not your first, um, you know, awareness campaign. You also no. were raising awareness prior to this. What drove you prior to PAD? What was that? We were, yeah, we were obviously with the COVID lockdowns and everything. I was, um, I was retrenched in that process and sat going like many millions around the world. Now what now? And after a while, my friend and myself, we said, well, she's been thinking about and trying to do this something for the Rhinos Foundation for many, many years. So last year, beginning of the year, we started with a 200 kilometer run done by me to launch it. Uh, it's called Fit for Rhinos. And we look after the orphaned rhinos from the horrible scourge that's in our land, killing all the, for the horn, the rhino horn and everything. And there's a lot of babies that are left behind and they get orphaned. So they need a lot of milk. And so we, we set it up to use what we call fit, our fitness with purpose. And actually in the first year, okay, it's not a lot of dollars, but it means every rand means everything here. And we raised well over the 100,000 rand mark um, in our first year alone, just by raising the awareness, getting athletes, getting ambassadors. So what would be great for this is after a year's, get more we get more ambassadors and grow and do the same thing again for you guys so yeah that's what's that's the only way to do it thank you so much i really think that you're paving new paths we've never i don't think john you might know better i don't think we've ever had someone you know put their their name their their likeness on the line for pad and truly take an international stage with it so this is really a first it is I another agree. big step for me. Yeah, sorry, sorry, no, Mark, no. Mark, I, I agree, and, and we want to support you any way we can, and love to get you to the U.S. and 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 maybe well, one, run run a simple, just run a simple race like the twenty six point two miles with the <laughs> with the save my the, piggy. The, the 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 Boston Marathon anytime. It's on my it's on my wish list. <laughs> You got to do I it. I think we have something to plan for in the next year. I agree. I agree. They, they well, don't want to let me in on the lottery. So you'll have to get yourself. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so it's much. London and Boston are the two marathons doing. I'd love to go run. Okay. And, that's uh, in the next year for PAD awareness. We got to do it. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> One more time. How can people follow you? How can they um, get involved with your campaign? 
Okay, we're going to start growing it now more as we as we push forward. So they can go on to the Hemp Runner, which is on Facebook and Instagram. It's all one word. And I just follow found from you. There. I'll, I just found you. Have you found it already? Now. Yep. Yeah, you're stalking me. Yeah, okay. Stalking you. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we we've started to build it. There's also a given gang page, which is which Kim, which I set you up with them here. Uh, they're international, which people can donate in their own currency around the world. And we will also start sharing a QR code, which um, is not working. We've tested our tested it last night and again this morning. Um, so yeah, so those three ways. It'll be updates on the given gang page. We'll have to share that link because it's quite a long link. So um, if you guys can put that up as a, a feed up or a text or something, um, we'll share it with you shortly. And then obviously the socials. We will. I will Thank do you. some live video feeds when there is reception for phones and things um, as well. We can go Facebook Live while we're in the mountains. So yeah, there's plenty of ways to follow. But I suppose the base entry way to follow is the hemp runner. Thank you so much, Mark. That is so exciting. We're going to keep following you. And coming up right here on the Heart of Innovation, we have actually, speaking of Save My Piggies that we mentioned, we do have a Save My Piggies segment, so you don't want to miss that. So stay with us. If you are taking prescription medications, it's important to have a review of those medications with your doctor every six months. Hello, I'm Kim McNicholas, founder of patient advocacy organization The Way to My Heart with this week's medical notepad. Prescription medications can deplete critical nutrients in the body. If you are on blood thinners, statins, blood pressure control medications, or others, ask your doctor these five questions. Number one, what are the common side effects? Number two, what nutrients does this drug deplete? Number three, What supplements should I take for nutritional support along with these drugs to prevent deficiencies? You may need to ask for a dietitian referral. Number four, what dietary supplements or food have the potential for interaction with these drugs and that I should avoid? It's so important because there are many. Number five, would you schedule blood work and a follow-up appointment to assess the effectiveness of my prescriptions, along with my nutrient levels likely impacted by these drugs? What blood work should you request? Here are just a few. Ask for regular blood work of vitamins such as B, magnesium, sodium, potassium, zinc, folic acid, calcium, CoQ10, and fat-soluble vitamins such as A, D, E, and K. With this week's Medical Notepad, I'm Kim McNicholas with patient advocacy organization The Way to My Heart. Remember, the advice and views offered in this series are for information and educational purposes only. Always check with your healthcare provider before acting on any information offered here. For more information on peripheral artery disease, a circulation issue mainly in the legs, please go to standagainstamputation.com. And for real-time support, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Save my piggies, your life, your limb, your story. With host Dr. John Phillips and Kim McNicholas. 
Welcome, everybody, to, well, my favorite segment of our show, Save My Piggies, and I know it's Kim's as well. We um, are super jazzed to have Jesse joining us today. And Jesse, the, the Save My Piggies platform is meant to be uh, dedicated to the patient and allowing the patient to tell their story about uh, peripheral arterial disease or whatever medical ailment that they might have and how they kind of um, you know, forge their way through it. We just got done speaking with an ultra marathoner, Mark Easter, who forged his way through, I don't know, 200 kilometers sometimes, which is crazy. But at any rate, tell us your story, Jesse. Welcome to the show. We want to hear from you. Um, so you've got the you've got the floor. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's great to meet you. I'm a I'm a race runner myself. Um, my distances are only actually rather than 100 miles, 100 feet. But nevertheless, you know, I, I run my own race to have my own medals. Not much competition. Um, mad respect. You know, I for like the way you say that. I, I love the way you say I run my race. All of us, all of us are um, in this life and certainly those of us who have this disease. Um, so I'm I'm 52 years old and my situation may or may not be unique, but I think it may be worth hearing. Um in December of 2020, my girlfriend and I had gotten in the habit of taking daily walks and, um, you know, just for typical constitutionals. And uh, I was starting to notice on my walks really rather suddenly that I couldn't walk uh, 50, 75 yards without my right leg feeling like I had run an ultra marathon. Just uh, the limbs mm-hmm. just completely fatigued and exhausted. Um, a lot of pain um, in my upper hip calf, quadriceps. And um, since I do have some sciatica issues, that's just naturally what I thought it was. I thought maybe I had I had ruptured a tendon or a ligament or something. So I went to my GP. And uh, I think I'm very fortunate in the PAD community in that I, I had a, um, a, a very well-informed general practitioner, because I know that PAD can often go misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. Um, and so I even expressed to him, I said, you know, I have these sciatica issues. I'm pretty confident that's what it was. But as he then queried me and went back and forth, um, you know, we often talk about the questions that we need to ask our medical professionals. And I, I think, um, as, as most of us who are on this chat probably know, um, it has to work in the other direction as well, that it's extremely important that our medical professionals are also asking us questions. So my GP took me through a battery of questions and he said, well, you're a little young for it, but it does sound like this could be peripheral artery disease. Um, What were the questions that can you do you remember any of the questions? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. He he said, you know, how far are you walking before you feel this this uh, this fatigue Um, on a scale from one to 10? How intense would you say the fatigue is? Where specifically are you feeling the pain in your leg? Um, Are you feeling any numbness? Um, if you rest for a while, does the pain go away? And if it does come back, is it at the same level of intensity? Um, and after answering those questions, he said, well, let me let me feel your ankle pulses here, because I, I think this could be peripheral artery disease. So he felt, you know, just with his hands, um, you know, the difference between what he could detect in my right ankle and my my left ankle. And he nodded and he said, yeah, you've got a, a pretty strongly reduced um, pulse, you know, in your ankles. So let's send you off for some Dopplers. 
And uh, it was diagnosed as peripheral artery disease. I've got a block in my ischemic artery, um, or rather in my iliac artery, that's an ischemic block. And uh, it was scary. You know, this is, um, I've been very lucky and I'm a non-smoker. I've always been a non-smoker. Um, but uh, this was scary for me because this was really the the first sort of major health obstacle in my life that I had faced. Um, and so I, I kind of found myself in this sort of abstract freefall of wondering, you know, what does this mean for me? What does, what does this mean for me going forward in terms of my overall health? Um, as I think all of us know, peripheral artery disease is often connected to uh, cardiovascular issues. So um, I, I wanted to be as active as I could in, in terms of awareness in my own care. So I had... Um, you know, cardio IQ blood tests done. I had a calcium score done. Um, I had uh, several treadmill stress, stress tests done, both with and without nuclear. And um, I, I've, I, I think that I'm very lucky. And in the sense that uh, I was able to have early detection of what this is so that I could take as much control of it as I could for whatever physiological state that my body was in. Jesse, did you uh, have any risk factors other than diabetes, pre-diabetic, diabetes, uh, high blood pressure? Um, my my AC1 is a little high. It borders between 5.8 and 6.1, depending on the blood test. And that's that's an interesting question because uh, since I was diagnosed, I have blood tests every every three months to really see what my own practices and habits in terms of, you know, the big three, as I like to call them, diet, exercise, and medication. You know, what is it that I'm doing that's having my body in a, in a particular condition? Um, I also did come to find out that um, uh, my biological father has um, some cardiovascular issues. Uh, he had cardiovascular stents put in when he was 57, um, and he actually just about three months ago had a quadruple bypass. He's 76 um, and he's recovering from that and, and doing well. Um, but I again, I think I'm, I'm I'm really lucky and fortunate in the sense that while I do have um, a, a relatively high calcium score in the 230s, I don't have any atherosclerotic buildup. I, I'm not showing any kind of uh, anything cardiovascularly other than some moderate calcium um, that's in the outer lining. There's there's no buildup. There's no blockage. There's there's nothing that's definitive. What uh, what what medications are you on right now? I imagine you're on statin and uh, just yeah, atorvastatin and baby aspirin. And okay. but I take about 15 pills worth of supplements a day in terms of niacin, magnesium, fish oil, um, vitamin K, uh, B12, folic acid. Um, I take a, a, a pretty healthy regimen both in the morning and the day uh, or morning and night uh, in terms of supplements. Um, and right after I was diagnosed, I took part in and and I would suggest for, for those folks who may be viewing this, who are in that early diagnosis stage, um, really ask your practitioners about supervised treadmill work. Because uh, that really got me on a road to redefining my body. And had me in a situation where after 16 weeks, I was able to build those collaterals up to where uh, just about three weeks ago, 
Um, I had an initial CTA in January of 2021, really about three, four weeks after I was diagnosed. And then I just had another one done uh, about three weeks ago. So you've got about 15, 16 months between these CTAs, and there's been no noticeable change in, in my blockage. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, quote unquote, widely patent in all of the three main uh, uh, carriers of blood through my right leg. Um, that treadmill study in terms of building those collaterals and really pushing myself um, was, I think, what really put me on a path to being able to, quote unquote, control this. Um, I, I walk a couple miles every day. Um, and when I first start walking, I have the, the typical pad pain a little bit, but it's very minor. On a scale from one to 10, my pain never really gets above a two. And it's just when I start. I start walking, and for the first 100 yards or so, a couple hundred yards, I've got a little bit of minor pain in my hip, maybe my calf, maybe my quads. But as I walk, it dissipates. And I can then walk about three and a half to four miles, um, which is very mild pain. And sometimes a little bit of numbness on the outside of my my thigh, you know, which I think is is completely normal and but also very acceptable. I have no resting leg pain. Um, I don't have any kind of sleep issues. And um, uh, again, to kind of come back to to this community, um, what I'm trying to do is to to kind of bring bring Mark's literal experience and my figurative one together. Um, I'm trying to look at the long distance race of having Amen. this disease with the understanding that um, I very well may have to have a procedure sometime in the future. I've after I had this CTA, I was talking with my vascular surgeon, a really good guy, Dr. Don, uh, Dr. John Afuso in the uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Penn Medicine Network about, you know, okay, thinking, looking forward, um, what are the particular procedures that I might have to be thinking about? And he said, well, you know, of course, there's the possibility of a stent um, or an endarctectomy, um, if that's the kind of thing that you might want to look into in terms of just completely removing the blockage that's there. But as he told me, and I think this is also, this kind of come full circle to at least when I got on, uh, the kind of things that Mark was referring to um, you know, what Dr. Afuso told me, he said, for somebody in your situation, I, I, w I wouldn't recommend anything right now. You, you don't need medical intervention. Mm -hmm. you're, you're handling this perfectly fine. Um, as I think all of us who are viewing this have either been told or already inherently know, this is a condition that is directly connected to its symptoms. So if you're able to control those symptoms, then medical, medical intervention is not something that needs to be on the table. Coming up after the break, we will finish our Save My Piggies with Jesse, so stay with us. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody, to The Heart of Innovation and Save My Piggies really special episode today, I think, because we have Mark Easter, who joined us in the earlier segments, ultra marathon runner, Jesse, gentleman with peripheral arterial disease, who's managing his disease through, a, among other things, walking and medical therapy. So I'm going to bring the two of you guys together. Uh, and and you got you kind of have this parallel path. But now I want you to kind of cross each other's uh, stream, so to speak. So Jesse, question for Mark. 
um, with respect to what motivates him. And then Mark question for Jesse motivation as well. Yeah, Mark, I mean, that's, I wonder if maybe you could talk about, you know, you mentioned before that um, when running these races uh, after a certain distance, it becomes this, you're really running in your Mm. head. Um, I wonder if you could talk about, do you have any meditation practices or any sort of focal strategies that you use when you're on the road to kind of keep yourself in a, in a quality mental space? Well, there is. Well, luckily most of the time I I opt to do a lot more in the mountains. So I have a view to look at to distract me a lot of the time, but yes, Mantras are very important. Counting. What we used to do on the road is counting lampposts. A lot of um, elite runners, if you hear their stories, they talk about counting. Um, They even just count to 100. So it takes your mind off that, hang on, my legs are sore. Uh, Or, or, you know, hang on, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. You you tend to forget. So, yeah, there's plenty of mantras. You've got to talk to yourself. There's a lot of self-talk. There's got to be a lot of self-belief because as soon as you allow your mind to say you can't do it, that's where your body's going to follow. And what about you, Mark, you know, to, to Jesse, since you're going to be raising awareness yeah. for EAD and, you know, raising awareness, of the importance of early diagnosis. I'm sure mm. that hearing Jesse's story as to what is possible when there is an early diagnosis, do you have any sort of sure. question for Jesse? Oh yeah, it's like we said for what we in the last time we spoke. It's something I've know absolutely nothing about. So it's really awesome to hear feedback from people who are doing it. So I mean, Jesse, first of all, man, well done. Proud of you getting up and actually doing it. And to hear early detection is the best help. Um, it's got to come from both sides, and I loved hearing that. So the fact that the doctor and I think John is all saying that you, know, you must be the quarterback. So you clearly are doing it. So, yeah, we all joke about it. You do 100 yards, I do 100 miles. doesn't matter. But what I always say is your 100 yards is my 100 miles. Um, everybody's different. So what got your – you asked basically the same question. What Besides the fact that you had to save your piggies, what, what motivates you to actually get up and do it and say, I actually have to do this, even on a cold, wintry day when I don't want to do it? Such a good question because some who are in the same position actually – don't have that motivation. So really good yes. question, Jesse. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to answer it if I can, in, in sort of an indirect way, um, I'm a college professor and um, what I tell all of my students is uh, Google scholar is your best friend. And mm-hmm. I would say to everybody that's in our PAD community, Google scholar is, is if, if we are the quarterbacks, Google scholar is both our playbook and our football because you can find really quality peer-reviewed journal uh, articles on our condition, mm-hmm. current therapies, um, and empower yourself with knowledge so that when you go in to talk to those practitioners and medical professionals, um, you, can, you can use the battery of Kim's questions that she's developed along with your own awareness and your own knowledge to then ask secondary questions. And to say, mm. look, you know, I, I I read in this particular article by this particular person, this particular observation, then you're, you're really meeting your practitioner uh, at the midway and running the race together. Fantastic. Awesome. Great advice. Awesome. We really appreciate you both. Jesse, awesome. thank you so much for sharing your story and inspiring us. And also to Mark as me. well. We are going to be following you, the Hump Runner. Make sure you follow them both on Instagram and Facebook. And we're going to follow your race and raising awareness for PAD. Run that race.
on that race. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with thewaytomyheart.org and take a stand against amputation. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room.